Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Congratulations for you folks for that's when graduating, either from high school or from college or grad school or law school or medical school. Well, you know what? They'll be looking for a job soon. If they're looking for a job, they got to look the part. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. they got a great, great line of clothing for your younger folks. And not necessarily something tailor-made, but also something custom-made. A wide variety of shirts, blouses, skirts, towels, you name it. Not towels, exactly. But you know what I'm talking about. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Horning. Andy, a uh, longtime political fixture here in the state of Indiana, ran for the Senate and ran for governor a while back and is running for the Senate again as a libertarian. So, Andy, we appreciate you being with us on the program today. Uh, question. Um, we'll talk about some of the other uh the, the other cultural issues that are sort of we're dealing with uh, here in the United States these days. Uh, one of the big issues has been the abortion issue. Uh, this week we marked one year of the Dobbs decision uh, that returned the abortion issue sort of back to the states and there was no federal constitutional right uh, to an abortion. So now you've got different states doing different things. Uh, what is your position on the abortion issue and how it's been handled? Well, um, I, I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me being a libertarian and saying this, but it never should have been a federal issue at all. Murder isn't a federal issue. There are a lot of things that are serious that are not federal issues at all and are handled by the states and are doing you know, just fine until things cross state lines, at which point the, those become court cases that should be handled individually as special cases. Court cases are not supposed to become universally applicable law. So when you had something like you know, Roe v. Wade, which basically I, I think even at the time people understood it was unconstitutional. They just felt it was necessary and timely given the, the cultural situation. But, you know, you look to see what really the issue has always been. If you have a state that, you know, that subsidizes abortions and, and um, you know, allows for abortions and another state next to it that prohibits abortions, of course, there are going to be issues that pop up. To make that a, a one-size-fits-all federal law, which all laws are inherently just reducing options, is not only unconstitutional, but it also doesn't make much sense because the more laws we have, you know, the more options we're throwing away, the more, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, a problem as opposed to a root issue. And the root issue with, with abortions is unwanted pregnancies. And, you know, that, that's, some, that's a cultural issue that varies greatly between one nation and another. How many people have unwanted pregnancies? How many people have abortions? And there isn't really much correlation to law. So, you know, this is really much more of a cultural issue than it is a legal one anyway, as I, as I think a lot of people have come to understand. And it certainly doesn't need to be a federal issue because we've got too many things that have become federal that should not be. And you can see the results. Every time the federal government sticks its nose into something, things go bad. So let me ask you, my friend, uh, if a, let's say a woman... Uh can't get an abortion in Indiana, drives to Illinois, you know, should she be prosecuted in Indiana for having the procedure done in, 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 in Illinois or Michigan? Well, see, that's just it. I mean, when we're talking about abortion, and I ask people this point blank, who gets, who, who, whose house gets raided? You know, when we bring out the SWAT teams and kick in doors and throw in flashbangs against who? The doctor, the woman having the abortion, you know, the guy who, you know, decides he didn't want to pay child support and says, I'll pay for the abortion. I mean, you look at how many threads there are to tug on here. I've not heard anybody come up with an actual logical plan for really dealing with it. I mean, we're not going to put everybody in the guillotine. This is a an intensely personal issue that, you know, I'm not saying there isn't 
there's not a grievous problem here. I, I, I don't think anybody likes having an abortion. It's not, that's not the way this works. It's just something that, you know, we've got cultural issues of support where a lot of women think they have no option but to get a, an abortion because they've got a job, they've got, you know, and they've been raped, you know, that, although that's very rare. Um, just the fact that this is one of those things that people face a, an ugly problem and, and they have, you know, only ugly solutions. Throwing, throwing this into a court of law and getting, you know, the police and all of this stuff involved is something I've not even heard a lot of abortion people talking about how we're actually going to deal with this in a logical way. How do you really prohibit it? We can't stop um, burglary. We can't stop drug use. And, and, and yet, the harder we try, the more we get, we get more cultural division, more people hating on each other, and more politicians claiming more power over us over everything else. And I just don't think we need to do that. Andy Horney with us. Uh, Andy, a candidate for the U.S. Senate, a libertarian candidate running for the libertarian nomination for next year. Uh, Andy, also another uh, cultural issue these days has been the LGBTQ plus uh, issues, particularly with transgender folks. Uh, you've got lots of people uh, passing laws across the country, some of them being overturned by courts, basically uh, banning gender affirming care, also banning uh, you know, sort of drag queens from reading, reading libraries. Uh, once again, is this, uh, this a cultural issue or a legal issue? Well, in this case, it's kind of both. I mean, do we protect children or not? Because I, I, I don't really care what grown-ups do with their own bodies between each other consensually. Any of that stuff, I don't care about that. Government should not get involved. But, you know, until we're ready to say, you know, go up to, a, to an 8-year-old, give him car keys, a bottle of whiskey, you know, a gun, um, and send him off to battle for us, I, I, don't, I don't think that we're ready to say that kids have adult agency. They're highly impressionable. I mean, that's why we have schools, right? We're trying to train them into who they are as people, make them responsible citizens. I mean, you, you can say all kinds of things about government schools, but the original, um, you know, that the reason Indiana has it codified into Article 8 is because you know, there is a need to make sure that kids don't grow up and make, you know, terrible mistakes and make a mess of themselves being ignorant and and non-productive and a drain on society and you know, criminals and all of that. And we've got a tremendous problem with, with mental and emotional problems in this country that we're not addressing. And particularly boys with the you know, rising suicide rates since the 1970s, crime rates, mostly boys. You, know, you think about you know, how many people are now autistic that didn't used to be. We've got tremendous problems to deal with. And all of this is something that, you know, we used to think we needed to protect our children from. And yet, in this one case, we believe that kids can decide their gender and have their bodies changed and become medical patients for the rest of their lives, by the way, um, because they're going to be on, you know, they're going to have special medical conditions. I, you know, I've been in the medical industry for my whole life, and I've been to conferences where they talk about the issues related to uh, transgender and and drugs associated with it um, that increase your, your risk of stroke and heart attack and, you know, make you lifelong dependent on drugs. And there's nothing really good about this from a medical standpoint. And you really should be a grown-up and make decisions you know, based on way more than eight years of life. Um, I mean, kids experiment a lot when they're kids. You've got, you know, they, they, they don't know who they are in lots of respects. And to let them alter their bodies forever, um, 
that is that should be a legal problem. And I think, you know, I I know that a lot of libertarians might, you know, may may razz me for this or get mad at me for this. But I don't see any other way to look at this. But our kids don't have adult agency. End of story. It just shouldn't be any other way. What grownups do, I don't care about. Government shouldn't care about. But kids are a special situation, and we should treat them as such. So, how far should the law go, my friend? Should should uh, obviously uh, no one wants you know kids making kid making adult decisions because kids don't have the mental capacity. But what about parents? Uh, you know, you know caregivers, those sort that sort of thing. Yeah, well, that's where it always comes into the problem, isn't it? That's what you know. Family court is is a problematic thing, and and it always has been. And you've always had bad parents doing bad things. And when a parent is an alcoholic, and when a parent does drugs, and leaves kids in, in hot cars, there are, you know, legal and social problems that, you know, we need to, we need, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a problem. I've got a helicopter going right over me right now. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I don't know if they hear what I'm saying. We've got a military base not too far from me. And so they, I try not to take it personally when they buzz my farm, <laughs> but he's going right over my head. No, my friend, you sound fine. Okay. Well, anyway, that's. Uh, I just think that you know we have to we have to treat kids as kids, and that's that's kind of the end of the story. You know, and we, we've already got mechanisms for dealing with bad parents, and I think that this is one of those cases where, you know, if, if a parent decides to change the gender of their child, um, and make them, you know, some kind of a. Um, I don't even want to get into the psychology of this. That's not my business. You know, the psychology is somebody else's business, but it is a legal issue, and it should be dealt with the same way we deal with other issues of bad parenting. Andy Horney with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Always good to have Andy here on the program as we talk. He's running for the U.S. Senate uh, for the first time since 2012, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, Andy, uh, in our final segment, I want to talk to you about sort of uh, our political climate. Uh, we seem to be a lot more, first of all, a lot of people say we're a lot more divisive than we used to be in the, in the, in the quote, unquote, the good old days. But in the good old days, people go out and, you know, settle the differences by dueling. So how, <laughs> how, how, would, you describe our, how would you describe our political climate? You know, our founding fathers described this political climate very well when they warned us against political parties to begin with and warned us specifically against dividing ourselves into only two. And, you know, it's it's amazing how many warnings we have had from politicians about the dangers of factions. And yet we've gotten ourselves into this ridiculous Hatfield versus McCoy, good cop versus bad cop kind of ridiculous puppet show. And I say puppet show because it's not even like they're really fighting. They, they agree on all the worst stuff. They agree on our endless wars and on, you know, crazy spending. I mean, if you look at the number of pages added to the Federal Register, it's the same between Democrats and Republicans. You can't tell the difference in the graphs and debt and all of that stuff. And here in Indiana, we have no excuse. We've got this Republican supermajority that does everything Democrats do in terms of taxes and spending and and, you know, our roads are terrible, but our, you know, road funding is crazy. Um, and so what is it that is going on in our brains when we think that we have only two choices, when we wouldn't tolerate that in any other area of our lives? You know, if you're looking for shoes, would you have only two options? I mean, even coffee, even you got caffeinated and decaffeinated, but you can get your beans from all over the planet. You can have dark roast, light roast. 
you can have cappuccino, you can have, you know, you think about how many options we demand and we expect and everything else. And yet we, we can tolerate only two political parties when we know that we don't like this. We know it's corrupt. We know that, you know, a lot of the same people will give money to both parties. So you've got big corporations that give to both Democrats and both you know, and Republicans because they don't care who wins. They just want to know that whoever wins picks up the phone when they call. And that that system of corruption and this system of device inherently divisive tug of war, why are we tolerating this? We should be voting against it with every chance we get. You know, if you're a socialist, you could vote green. If you're, you know, conservative constitutionalist, you can vote libertarian. We we should not tolerate you know, this Republican-Democrat thing. People always ask libertarians, oh, you know, you're just spoiling the election. No, we're not the ones who are spoiling elections. Actually, I was going to ask you, actually, I was going to ask you about that. The, the question, which is, people say libertarians, you know, you, you, you quote, unquote, steal votes. Last time I checked, you know, <laughs> nobody, nobody owned anybody's vote, but that's just me thinking out loud here. <laughs> well, you think, you know, oh, you're contaminating the purity of our electoral process. Who are we kidding? You know, this is this is ridiculous. We are making fools of ourselves. And, you know, to have any sort of defense of this two party system when it is unconstitutional, our founders did warn us against it. We've had plenty of warning about, you know, where this is headed and and who likes this? Why are we doing this to ourselves? And so when when people tell me, oh, you you know, you're a perennial candidate. We never call a perennial candidate, you know, somebody who gets elected. So you can be in, in Congress for 40 years and nobody calls you a perennial candidate. And they don't, you know, they say, you know, you haven't been successful before. I am not the success that we should be worried about. Where is our government headed? Where is our nation headed? So my success is not the issue. People think that elections are for candidates. They're not. Elections are all about us. Like I said before, it's our power of peaceful revolution. It's not to hire politicians, it's to fire them. And not just the politicians, and not even just the parties. It's the whole system that they represent. And when you're talking Democrat and Republican, you're talking about major system of cronies. You know, you've got the bundlers and the lobbyists and the permanent, you know, partisan staffers in Washington, D.C. who outnumber our, our representatives. And you've got literally millions of people in the federal government, literally millions, with literally billions of dollars spent on just elections, just elections for Democrats and Republicans. Only Democrats and Republicans are allowed in primary elections. Only Democrats and Republicans are allowed to have precinct committeemen. You think, why are we tolerating special laws for these two private clubs that we were warned about. Andy, let me let me ask you. Uh, and Andy Horney with us for a few minutes, a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, is the answer to uh, you know our, our, our divisiveness, our corruption? Uh, and this is going to sound really weird. Public funding of political campaigns, because a lot of it boils down to just dollars and cents. And people wanted to get reelected. People want to influence elections. If you take the money out, does that change everything? Well, it would, but then it depends how you do it too. So if we have publicly funded presidential campaigns, but libertarians don't get that money. So you, know, you look to see how any of these who is writing the laws for campaign finance and for, you know, election laws. And it's the people that we really don't want writing any laws at all that we should have all the options. I, most people have no clue. 
that we are still supposed to be able to vote directly for the electors in the Electoral College. But that hasn't happened since the 1930s. In fact, in Indiana, it's been it's even been the law that we don't even put the electors names on the ballot. And that's that's not what it's in. uh, It's in the 14th Amendment. It's in all through the Constitution. We are supposed to vote for the electors. And if, if people understood how warped the constitutional design has become because we have allowed only two political parties to take over, you know, we would understand that this this system of of corruption and, you know, this this system that we've got, first of all, is not just money. There's a lot of laws behind it. Second of all, the money is because we don't any longer and I'm, I don't need to go on a negative attack campaign against voters here. But, you know, the fact that we don't really go to public forums anymore, we don't go to, we don't listen to debates. We don't look for candidates. We expect candidates to die through TV screens, through billboards and yard signs, and all of that stuff costs money. We know where the money comes from when it comes to the Democrats and Republicans. If we would just look for – if we would hire politicians the way we hire anybody else, if we were to hire them the way we hire a janitor, we would expect to see them in person. We would want to know something about them. I I can tell you just in the last campaigns that I've run – I hardly ever hear directly from voters, you know, and, and I, it's, I've seen that they fewer and fewer show up to public forums and debates where they can interrogate candidates face to face. We just don't do that anymore. If we did, then the money in elections wouldn't matter so much. We wouldn't have to depend on yard signs and billboards. And I, don't know, I guess I should I can even say radio ads here. And I'm, I'm going to buy radio ads. But the fact is. All of that stuff costs money that if we were to actually look for candidates ourselves to do our own research, candidates wouldn't have to spend any money at all. I mean, it could be just like any other job application process. You apply for the job, you put your name on the ballot, you show up for the interviews, which are debates in public forums, and people make up their minds. Shouldn't be an expensive process. We have made it expensive just because we have turned this into a, you know, something bizarre. We would never hire anybody the way we hire politicians. Our guest on the program today has been our good friend Andy Horning. Andy, Libertarian candidate, looking uh, uh, for the nomination for the U.S. Senate for next year. So, Andy, my friend, always good to chat with you. My spider sense tells me uh, we'll be talking again real soon. Well, thank you, sir. It's great to talk to you. Have a good day. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.